are jumping right back into the story of Joseph, and I'm really excited. So let's pick up in Genesis chapter 40. What has happened if you're new to this story? Uh, it begins, just a real quick recap. Joseph has an incredibly dysfunctional family to the point where they sell him into slavery. He gets put in a house, the officer of, of, of all of Egypt. Um, he does an amazing job there. It says that the Lord is with him. And then he gets falsely accused of rape by the, uh, the head guy's wife. They throw him in jail. The Lord is with him in jail. He rises to the top there. The warden gives him control of the entire prison. And then these two guys one day come up to him, the baker and the cupbearer of Pharaoh. And they have uh, an issue. And this is where we're going to pick up in the story of Joseph. He is in jail. He has been, uh, you know, charged falsely. Okay. He could all just a rough life. Okay. Just a rough life. And here we are in verse five. It says, while they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? He asked them. All right, and so in the story of Joseph, there's a lot of parallels between Joseph and Jesus, and this is one of those moments, okay? Because just like Joseph is a prisoner wrongfully accused of a crime that he did not commit and finds himself in prison, Jesus was very much the same way. Let me tell you something. When you leave heaven and you come down here to earth, I have to imagine that it is very much like a jail cell, okay? And I don't think we really understand that enough, how we cling to this life and we cling to this world and, and God's saying, y'all don't get it. You're living in a jail cell down there. Wait till you see what is waiting for you in heaven. And meanwhile, we're going, I don't want to go. I'm telling you, Jesus was in jail when he was on earth because he knew what, was, what heaven was like. And not only that, but he was on the throne in heaven, right? He had the most comfortable seat with the biggest large screen TV, watching Trevor Lawrence win a Super Bowl for the Jaguars, all right? It was awesome. And so he finds himself here on earth, in his own prison, falsely accused, not treated fairly, doing everything right, just like Joseph. But like Joseph, Jesus, rather than sitting there and complaining about this stack of unfair things that have happened to him, unfair things that have been said to him that go all the way to the sky, and focusing on all, and all of that, Instead, what he does is he looks at each one of us. And you know what he says? He says, what's wrong? Why are you worried today? He's not focused on all the things that have been, have been done to him, right? All the things that are unfair in his life, like we do, right? When we sit there and we just, we just woe is me on this and that. Oh, this isn't fair. Life's not fair here. And we build this cocoon around our own life. And we become the subject of everything in our own life. And the world starts to revolve around us. And we totally don't even see the people around us who are going through something else. And we never bother to ask, what's wrong with you today? Why are you worried today? But like Jesus, Joseph was able to do that in that moment. And I'll tell you why in a few minutes. Because in that moment, he saw these two guys and he looked them in the eye. Forget about me. Forget that I'm here unfairly. Forget that I didn't even do what I'm accused of. Forget that I was a success and no one cares and I've been left here, and I've done everything right. Forget all about that. What's wrong with you today? And so it goes on to say, they replied, verse 8, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. 
And I, I love Joseph's response here. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So here's what he's saying when he says interpreting dreams is God's business. He's saying, oh, I see what your problem is. You know what you've been doing is you've been asking everybody else something that they can't do. You've been going to the wrong sources. Your problem is something that only God can handle. That's your problem. And so instead of going to him, you're asking all these other people. Oh, my goodness, Lord, forgive us when we do that. Maybe we do that with our spouse, right? We think they're going to have all the answers. Or we do that if I, if I just get this promotion at work or if I just go to my friends and I'm asking all these other people to fill something that only God can handle, to fill this void in my heart that only God can fill, to answer this question that only God can answer. And rather than going to him first, we go to him last. I was just talking about that this morning with someone about prayer, how it's always our last resort instead of our first resort. And that is what we're doing all the time with our problems. We're asking everybody else when they're God's business, not our friends, not our spouses, not our jobs, not any of those things. And so when Joseph hears what they're going through, he says, oh, I get it. You're asking the wrong people. This is God's business. No wonder you haven't gotten an answer. They're asking, think about this. They're asking prisoners in prison. All right. They're equating what prisoners in prison can do to what God can do. And that's, that's the same thing with us. We are prisoners of sin. And we ask prisoners of sin to handle God's business. We are not going to get an answer. It is not going to work out. And so Joseph immediately addresses that. And then check out what he, check out what he says. He says, go ahead and tell me your dreams. In other words, this is what he's saying here. He's saying, that's God's business. And guess what? I'm about God's business. Doesn't matter how I've been treated. Doesn't matter that I'm in here unfairly. Doesn't matter that I have no idea if or when I will ever get out. I am still about God's business. God's life's just too busy right now. Life's just too hard for me to, to serve you in this moment. I just have a lot on my plate. So I think I'm just gonna take a break from this right now. No, no. We need to continue to be about God's business no matter what life looks like in that moment. Because it's when we're about God's business that he delivers us as well. And so Joseph has not, I mean, come on, y'all. Can you understand where he's at in his life? He has not given up. He has not stopped giving God credit. And he has not stopped serving God when he has no idea when this is going to end or how it's going to end. But he says to these guys, tell me, because I am about God's business. You know what being about God's business looks like? When you're in the middle of a pandemic and you don't know if you're going to be able to go home, but you go on a mission trip anyway. That's being about God's business. And so they, they tell him the dream in verse nine. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine, in my, uh, wine cup in my hand. So I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as chief cupbearer. And listen to this right here. Verse 14. And please remember me. And do me a favor when things go well for you. 
Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews. And now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. I love these few sentences from Joseph because it shows us that, yes, Joseph is actually a human, all right? He's not this superhero, right? He is human, and he wants to get out of this place. He's still about God's business. He still honors the Lord while also wanting to get out of where he's at, okay? And that is important to know because it's great to honor the Lord when we're up on the hilltop. It's another to honor him when we're in the valley. And that is what Joseph is doing in this moment. He's saying, look, here's what your dream means. You're going to get out. You're going to be okay. And if you could just do me this favor, if you could just do me this solid, will you just remember me? Tell Pharaoh about me. Maybe he'll let me out. I'm not asking anything. Maybe just like 20 bucks for a bus ticket home and I'll be out of your hair. I've done everything right. Can you just let him know? It's a pretty fair request, I think. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I love that. He's like, I'm not going to tell. Oh, he's going to, okay, yeah. (laughs) I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. All right. Yeah, yay. Like, I'm going to go take a nap, and I'm going to have a dream that trumps that dream. I'm going to come back to you, all right? Like, I don't like that, you know? We don't want to hear that, right? But Joseph told him. And it's important to understand that as well. Joseph told the good dream. And he told the bad dream, all right? And let me tell y'all something. We love to read the gospels and read the words of Jesus and hear all the good stuff. But we don't really like to hear the challenging stuff that Jesus says. And here's here's where Jesus and Joseph differ greatly. Joseph interprets the baker's dream and he does it correctly. And that's it. You're going to die. Sorry. Sorry. There's nothing after that. Jesus, when he gives us the hard sermons, the hard verses, there's something after that, okay? There's more to the story than just sorry, all right? So when we hear stuff like, love your enemy, I'm like, no, I don't want to hear that. Give me the cupbearer verse, right? Or keep forgiving, that's 70 times seven. I don't really want to hear that. Or if you want to follow me, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. You know those verses that we kind of like to skim over? There's more to it than that. The wages of sin is death. There's more to it than that. That is the reality that we have all earned death because of our sin. But the gift of God is eternal life. There is more to it. And so when we read these these hard sermons, these these challenging things that Jesus puts in front of us, it is not to just condemn us and throw darkness into our lives. It's It's to expose those things, be a light into our life, and get us out 
of those moments in our life. Get us out of those struggles so that if we're dealing with an enemy in our life, we don't just sit in it and fester and stew. We begin to love them and Jesus delivers us out. There is another side to it, but we can't ignore the hard verses that Jesus speaks because that's how we grow. And that's how we begin to just love Jesus more and be delivered from these jail cells that we're in. But all we're after is the cupbearer dream. But we need more than that a lot of times. Joseph was obedient in that moment to say the good news and the bad news. Jesus was obedient to challenge us to say the hard things that might not make him the most popular preacher on the planet that might actually get him killed. But he was obedient to do so because he knew that there was more to the story. There's more to our story if we just be obedient and continue to honor God, even when we feel like we're never gonna get out of this jail cell. Will we do it? All right. Where am I? Sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, let's skip down to verse 20. It says, Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cup baker, however, forgot all about Joseph. Listen to this, y'all. Never giving him another thought. That is a punch to the gut. And this is what I find so amazing about this. Just think for a second. If someone on Thursday told you exactly what was going to happen today, and it happened don't you think, don't, isn't it a safe bet to just think that you probably would remember that person that told you that on Thursday? Like, no way! The baker's on the pole! And I'm here, it happened! He was right! Didn't happen. He's like, oh, what dude in prison? I don't know what you're talking about. Did not give him another thought. And again, to take it even a step further, if I'm the cupbearer and the baker, those three days leading up to that third day, all I'm doing is like thinking about what was just said. Like, oh, two more days, am I going to get out of here? Bakers, two more days, am I going to die? One more day, am I going to die? here? One more day, am I going to die? You know, up until that, I mean, it's like this huge crescendo every day, just building and building. How in the world, how in the world did he forget about him? But here it is, Joseph alone, again, after having done everything right, again. Don't raise your hand, but let me ask you this question. Do you feel like Joseph right now? Some of you in here, some of you watching online, do you feel like that? God, what else do I have to do? I'm waiting, I've done everything right. I've done everything you ask of me. I'm giving you credit. When are you going to remember me? How much longer? How much longer do I have to wait? What else can I do? I've done everything. 
And yet I feel alone, I feel forgotten, I feel abandoned, and I don't know when this is going to end. Does that feel familiar to you? You're not the only one. You are not the only one. And here's what it says in verse 1 of chapter 41. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed. I hate that word full. I hate it. Not too fast years. Not too, hey, real simple years went by like that. Two full years. I think we can all look back on the last year, year and a half or so that we've lived and say that was a full year. That was a full year. Two full years, though, in prison when you've done nothing wrong, not knowing when you're going to get out, left by your family. What does that feel like? And here's the thing, y'all. Going back to when the cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. If I'm Joseph, you know, he doesn't have the luxury of reading uh, Genesis chapter 40, right? In real time going, oh, shoot, he just forgot about me. Like, he doesn't know. He doesn't know what's going on with the cupbearer, that, that, that he's been restored. And maybe he knows he's been restored, but he doesn't know what's going on in his mind. So maybe Joseph's in this prison, and every time the prison door opens, he's thinking, is this it? Is this my call? And then, kink, it shuts again. And then maybe the next day or later that day, it opens again. Maybe this is it. Is this, what, is this the time? Did he remember me? Shut. And again, and again, day after day. And that hope that he had when the cupbearer restored every single day, when that prison door shuts, gets less and less and less. That's tough. That's feeling alone. That's feeling forgotten when you've done everything right. But the words never change. The Lord was with Joseph. I want to read out of Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 28. It says, Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depth of his understanding. He never grows weak or weary. Do you know when, 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 when athletes, professional athletes become weak and they become weary, that's when they start losing the game. But not only are they, are they weak and weary and can't keep up with the other team physically, but that's when they start making poor decisions. When you're tired and you're weary and you're weak, you start making dumb decisions. You start getting out of the training, right? The things that the coaches have been telling you to do because you're not thinking straight. And that is so much us. When we are weak and when we are weary and we've been going through it, we make terrible decisions and we think stupid things like God could ever forget you, like God would ever abandon you. That is ridiculous. And it is not true for anyone that is in here or watching online thinking that. God sent Jesus to die for you. He has not forgotten you. He is with you wherever you are right now. He is with you. So don't let your weariness change the truth of how God feels about you. It goes on to say in verse 29, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Thank you, Jesus. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. Here it is, verse 31. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. 
All right, check this out. I've, I've said this before, so a lot of y'all probably know. Some of you don't. When I was a little kid growing up, Saturday mornings for me was not about cartoons. All right? I wasn't a big cartoon guy. I watched some here and there. But what I was into when I was a kid was professional wrestling, all right? That was my jam, all right? And for whatever reason, like now, I don't know if it's nostalgia, but there's all these documentaries coming out about these wrestlers that I grew up with, and I'll be able to watch like 10 minutes, and then Jesse walks in and makes me like, what are you watching? Change the channel. Um, but I'm like reliving the glory days of me. I mean, when I was, I think I was not that little. Okay, I was a senior in high school. Uh, <laughs> camped out with a buddy of mine at the old Veterans Coliseum at 2 o'clock in the morning for tickets to WCW Monday Nitro. Let me tell you something. If you want a life experience, <laughs> camp out for pro tickets with other wrestling fans at 2 o'clock in the morning. Like, yeah, I'll just leave it at that, all right? It's, it's quite the crew. That's right. My dad always said, you can't fake gravity, <laughs> and it's true. I'll tell you more of that story some other day. We're pressed for time. <clears throat> I could tell more. But anyway, I said... <laughs> Stopping the rabbit trail right now. But anyway, I was in, 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 the, in the big wrestler at the time. Everyone knew Hulk Hogan, right? Hulk Hogan was the man. And they had his Hulkamaniacs, right? And well, here's the thing. I was not a Hulkamaniac. I was not a Hulk Hogan fan. I didn't like Hogan because all of his matches were the exact same, right? He'd come out, I am a real American. You know, just pining for like everybody like America, Hulk Hogan. You know, if that's not American in a nutshell, I don't know what is, by the way. But um, he'd come out and he'd be all energetic and the fans would just be going nuts. And whoever he was wrestling at the moment, he'd go in the ring and he'd just start pounding on him. And, you know, he'd be winning the match at the beginning. Inevitably, you know, the, the, the bad guy or whatever would, would, you know, start beating up on Hogan. And he would just start annihilating Hogan. Like just, just beating the tar out of him to where you're like, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe Hogan's actually going to lose a match here or something. And then the same thing that would happen every single match. The bad guy would punch Hogan in the head or in the face and out of nowhere, Hogan would just go like, ooh, and out of his face, right? And I'm like, oh, okay, he was just about to die two seconds ago. And he gets punched in the face, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, he just woke up. And, and the bad guy would be like looking around, oh, I don't know what to do, what's happening? And so he'd punch him again. And then Hogan would get even like, oh, you know, more. And then he'd just keep punching him. And with every punch, Hogan would just get more and more to the point where at the last punch, he would look at him like that, and he'd put his finger in his face. And he would wave his finger in the bad guy's face. Like, how dare you beat me up? I'm Hulk Hogan. And then like three moves later, the, the boot to the face, the leg drop, match is over. Like, oh, I didn't see that coming, you know? <laughs> but right when Hogan was at the brink of being beaten, the great Hulk Hogan, you know what he got? New strength. He got new strength in that moment. That's a stretch, but it was a good story, okay? He's <laughs> like, I'm going to tell a Hulk Hogan story this morning. <laughs> That'll kill five minutes of my sermon. <laughs> but it's true. I, if you're familiar with it, he was like about to just be done. And I want to say this to those that feel that same way. You got in the ring, this walk with Jesus, and you were so excited. And you just went after the enemy, right? Just beating them up like crazy. But then something happened. You got a little weary got a little weak, and the enemy started beating you up. And maybe even where you're sitting right now, you were feeling beat to a pulp by the enemy. God says that he never grows tired. He never grows weary, and he gives us the power. He gives us the Holy Spirit. 
He gives us his truth and his love to be able to stand up in that moment with new strength and wave our finger at the enemy and say, no more, no more. And then we can fight, but you have to receive it. You have to receive it. You can't just lay on the ground and say, I'm weak and I'm weary and that's all that I got left. Because when we do, when we receive that new strength, you know what the Bible says? It says, you will soar high on wings like eagles. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not faint. But are you willing? Do you believe it? It's like last week what we were talking about. Do you believe it? So I'm going to skip forward a little bit in the, in the story. Pharaoh has these dreams. He asks everybody. He does just like the cupbearer and the baker. Ask everybody else, the magicians, the, the sorcerer, all that stuff, all the wise men in all of Egypt, the smartest people in all of Egypt. None of them know because he's tell, asking other people what is God's business. Even Pharaoh did that. So I'm picking it up in verse 14. He has these dreams. He says, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once because suddenly the cupbearer goes, oh my goodness, you know what? I just remembered something. It's like the most amazing thing that ever happened to me in my entire life. And uh, there's this guy. He's in prison. Interpret dreams. So, so he tells Pharaoh about that. And so it says this in verse 14, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Listen to Joseph's response here. It is beyond my power to do this. Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Do you understand what's happening here? Joseph is right is before the most powerful man in the world. This is his ticket out. All he has to do is say, yeah, Pharaoh, I got you. I, I can do it. But he, could, could you just do me this favor? Grant me my freedom. That's all I ask. He could have bargained with him right there. He had all the leverage, all the power. And even then, after everything that Joseph had been through, he says, no, it's not me, it's the Lord. I can't do it. You're, you're wrong, Pharaoh, is actually what he tells him. You're wrong. I can't. But I'm going to choose this moment where I am in front of the most powerful man in the world, where everything is at stake, after years of being treated unfairly, and I'm going to take this opportunity to glorify the Lord. I'm going to witness to this guy. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Is that not challenging? So what J uh, Joseph does, I'm going to paraphrase, he, he interprets the dreams. And basically what it is, is uh, the interpretation is there's going to be seven years of plenty. There's going to be all this food, all these crops. It's going to be seven years of good eating and good living. But after those seven years, there's going to be seven years of famine. And the seven years of famine are going to be so severe that no one's even going to remember the seven years of plenty. Okay, so that's what he tells Pharaoh, which again, good news, seven years of plenty. Bad news, seven years of famine. Joseph told both. All right? He, told, he gave Pharaoh the bad news. But then he goes on to say... He says, therefore, Pharaoh, this is verse 33. He says, therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint uh, supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the, good, uh, the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. 
That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Okay, let's just pause for a second. We're about to wrap up. Man, y'all can come back up. I just want you to consider for one second. Consider for one second if the cupbearer had remembered Joseph after he had interpreted his dream. What may have happened? Maybe Joseph would have been released from prison, right? Maybe he would have gotten exactly what he wanted and he would have been set free. Well, here we are in this moment where literally the world is at stake. The world is at stake. And if Joseph had been set free when he interpreted the cupbearer's dream, at this moment, Joseph would have been nowhere to be found. Where is this guy? Where can we find him? We don't know. Maybe he's in Canaan. Maybe he's, we, no idea. But when the moment came, when the need was greatest, they knew exactly where to find him. And because of that, he was able to come in that moment and quite literally save the world. Don't tell me God's timing is wrong. God's timing is perfect. And it's perfect for your life. It is perfect for your life as well. So maybe we stop rushing God and we just continue to receive that new strength, that new strength over and over. Because the thing is, Joseph was made this great person. This, this power that he received was through being a slave, was through being a prisoner, right? In those moments, again, it's not on the hilltops a lot of times, it's in the valleys. And listen to what it said. Listen to Pharaoh's response. This is so awesome. Verse 37, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man? So, listen, so obviously filled with the spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, Pharaoh is giving God credit here. Since he has done this, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. We often like to think that when God, like this God just moves so slow. I, I don't really believe that. I think he pours into us and that takes time because we're a mess. But when he moves, he moves quick because Joseph woke up a prisoner and he went to bed, the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. That's fast moving. Okay, but here's what I want to say more than anything, because this is so important, y'all. And we're going to take a little, little turn here. This story of Joseph up until now, what we're talking about is not about waiting on God so he can put us in this powerful, awesome, rich place. Okay. And we, we can be tempted to think that if I just wait on God, if I do everything, he's going to reward me with this awesome thing. It's not about that. The story of Joseph, at least the, the part that we're studying now, about being a slave, being a prisoner, and then being second in command of all of Egypt is actually about Joseph being Joseph, and then Joseph being Joseph, and then Joseph being Joseph. Meaning he was a child of God, no matter where he went. The story of Joseph is about our identity and who we are, regardless of whatever title or position or place we might be in in life in that moment. But what we do is we get so consumed with James the prisoner or James the slave, if I can only be James second in command, that we forget who we really are. And that this whole thing is just one giant jail cell. And the ultimate reward is waiting for us in heaven. And our identity is what really matters. We get so wrapped up in that. 
what our title is, how much money we make. If I could only find a wife or a husband then, or if I could, God, if you just, then, then. It's like, no, it's about knowing him and him knowing us and him being with us every step of the way along the way and tapping into that new strength. Joseph was Joseph the whole time. He was the same. His title and his circumstances changed, but he was the same the whole time. And so are you. You are a child of the most high God. And when Jesus talks about you, he's talking about you. And though you may be going through something hard, he will deliver you. There is more to the story. There is more to your story, more than what you are going through now, whatever that looks like. But the point is not the other side. The point is that he's with you right now and that he loves you right where you're at. So don't ever for a second forget what your identity is. Don't ever let your weakness and your weariness make you think that God doesn't love you and that he's forgotten you because he hasn't. God's timing in your life is perfect. He's just waiting for other things to unfold, things that you might have no idea about. The story doesn't begin with Joseph having a dream about seven years of famine. That happens later, but he just continues to walk and then the moment presents itself. Let's stand. I just wanna speak to all of us in here, but especially those that are really relating to Joseph right now, where you're like, I'm out of ideas, God. I don't know what else I can do. I feel like I've done everything right. I'm having my quiet times in the morning. I'm loving my enemies. I'm tithing, I'm coming to church. I'm doing everything that I possibly can and nothing. And all I feel is alone and forgotten and confused and hurt. He's got you. He is with you and he will see you through to the other side. There is more, there is more to your story. Don't give up, don't give up. Receive that new strength. And I'm telling you, just like Joseph soared like an eagle, so will you, you will, you will. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, for all of us in here that are weak and weary and feel alone, forgotten, confused, really just hurt, Lord. And we feel like the enemy's just having a field day with us. And that every time we pray, it's just like praying into the wind. It's almost become just either a religious habit or even maybe we're even spiteful in our hearts about it. Like, yeah, God, okay, I'm gonna do it. Even though I know nothing's gonna happen. Father, forgive us in those moments. Strengthen us, Father, with your word, with your truth, with your Holy Spirit. God, because we know that there's more. We know that there's more to come. And we thank you for this great example of Joseph that you've given us to help us not just endure the jail cell, but to know that we are gonna eventually get out of it. We thank you that your timing is perfect. It is perfect, Lord. And so we're gonna trust in that. Every day, Lord, we're gonna choose to trust in your perfect timing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you're with us always and that our circumstances and our title do not define our identity as a child of the most high God. We love you. We exalt you. And we just thank you, Lord, for for being with us. Let's worship.